Galveston Island, Texas. It's not a place you'll hear much about outside the state. To first-time visitors, it tends to underwhelm, honestly. Most newcomers can't seem to get past the muddy water and the occasional mountains of seaweed. The truth is, it's rich in American history, even richer in unique, funky vibes and natural beauty. But really, it's richest in its interesting, salty characters. You just have to scratch below the surface. One of those characters is a man by the name of Rex Bell. Rex is probably best known as the longtime bassist and friend of the great Towns Van Zandt. He's also known as the inspiration behind the town song Rex's Blues for painting his toenails, his love of good poker games, and a quirky sense of humor. To us modern-day musicians, we know him as the owner and operator of the legendary Old Quarter Acoustic Cafe. Originally opening in Houston in the mid-60s, it hosted the finest songwriters around and built a cultural scene that resonates across all roots songwriting to this day. In 1972, Towns recorded a live album there that people still call the Rosetta Stone of Texas music. After it closed in 1976, Rex reopened it in Galveston, sometime in the mid-90s, and owned it until just a few years ago. He's still involved today as sort of the unofficial mascot. So I was in Galveston last week for a show at the Old Quarter, and I hit Rex up and I asked him if I could come by his house and record a conversation about his love of the Gulf Coast, what he loved about Galveston, um, the history of the old quarter, and just try to get some stories out of the guy. And he agreed. And man, it was one of the coolest conversations I've ever had. We talked about all that stuff and and how he played bass with Lightning Hopkins, how um, he lived above the old quarter with the guys from ZZ Top before they were ZZ Top, how he and Towns almost got killed in a heroin deal gone bad. I mean, it was it was pretty fun. Um, I just want to set the scene because, uh, you know, Rex is a funny guy. And, and uh, right when I got to the house, I was greeted by he and his two dogs. Thank you. Hey, you look great, man. Oh, that's Jay and that's Ray. Hey, guys. Rex's hey, wonderful you? wife, Janet. Hey, Janet. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm great. And a Roomba vacuum cleaner. Yeah, I'll tell you what, things are magic. I mean, they're not toys anymore. Right off the bat, and before we could turn the air conditioner off, so sorry about that. His humor was on full display as he pulled out his phone and showed me a picture of an ill-placed sign outside of a liquor store. Liquor tacos. Liquor tacos. <laughs> right? I missed that part. <laughs> no, that's why I said I said I would go around selling these AA meetings. I'm evil. <laughs> that was the, yeah, liquor tacos. Liquor tacos. That's all I can see when I see that sign. Some liquor tacos. <laughs> Man, that's a highfalutin new-looking deal. It looks like a battery for a, a Lexus, you know, for a Tesla. <laughs> and just before we started, Rex being in his late 70s, he asked me if I knew what the key to a long life was. No? It's a beautiful woman and an eight ball of Coke a day. <laughs> Rex Bell reporting live from Jamaica Beach, Galveston, Texas. Well, don't worry, I won't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Back Down Home, Beyond the Liner Notes, a podcast accompanying my debut solo record of the same name. I'm Tony Camel. This is my way of saying thank you to some of the places, events, and especially people that have helped and inspired me along the way. If you haven't listened to the record, take 35 minutes or so to do that before digging in here. That way you'll know if you even want to know. 
Well, I was born in Dallas, but I moved, my family moved to Texas City when I was 11. Mm -hmm. So really, since I was 11, I've lived on the Gulf Coast. It's kind of more, you, you remember that as your home place more than when, I, at least for me, when I was, you know, in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of raised in Texas City. But, you know, no one wants to say they're from Texas City. So I said, I'm from Galveston all the time. But I lived in, I said, I'm from Texas City, but I have a car, which means I'm from Galveston. Because <laughs> this is where everybody had to go, right? Right. Perfect. And so I've loved it here. I love the Gulf. I was been fishing in the, the Gulf since I was 11. I went fishing yesterday. <laughs> it doesn't go away. Right. Yeah, it kind of stays in you. It does for me, for it sure. It does. It really does. I'm, I mean, I caught four, three hardheads yesterday, and it was still fun. It's still fun, yeah. I was trying four to impress hardheads. my wife. She was in the golf cart, <laughs> and I'm coming back with these gigantic hardheads, which are trash fish. You know? Yeah. But I love it down here. I always have. Galveston's kind of like a a beachfront city, but not like Miami Beach, thank God, you know, although it's getting, <laughs> it's getting a lot more, you know, occupied as, as we go. So I've always told people like Galveston is, is the kind of weird that places want to be, but it, you can't, it happens naturally here. You know? It happened naturally up until Hurricane Ike in 2008, there was a huge, you know, uh, it, there was a huge ghetto here that was part of a, a misfunded thing in the 60s we had more public housing at one point in Galveston than any per capita than any city in the United States so there was this wealthy area and then this ghetto right kind of side by side and you've got the it's just an interesting place mm -hmm. it's hard to explain it's not like any other coastal town right and it's not like if you know it's not like Port Arthur it's not like it's it's just it's just so different, and it's kind of like it's still got a little bit of ghetto and a little bit of high highfalutin town mm -hmm. involved. It's still a, lo a little town down deep. Tuesday night you can drive home, and there's nobody around. It's still got that little town feel to it. The fishing is excellent. If you live down here, you can wait till the water's just right. Yeah. I caught three hardheads yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a great four. Deal. She's done four. She was keeping score. <laughs> But I love it. It's got that. It's got still like a little town feel, yeah. and I don't think you can't. It'll never be Miami because it won't support huge structures here. Sure. Like uh, it's too much sand. So sure. I think it'll always remain a little bit of, of small town feel to it. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's not a lot of traffic. We'll we'll back up for a minute. You were, as far as the history of the old quarter goes in Houston. Can you talk a little bit about when you were part owner of the old quarter and some of that history? Well, when I got out of the Navy in 1965, I had been playing music in the Navy, and, you know, and I, I knew I wasn't good enough to make a living, so my plan was to open a club until I was good enough to play music for a living. And so I just followed my dream. And as soon as I got out of the Navy, I went looking for a place. It just happened to accidentally drive by this place called the Oak Quarter. It already had the name up there. People, people have always asked me, said, how did you come up with the Oak Quarter? I'm going, well, I saved 50 bucks on a sign. <laughs> if it would have been called the Ghetto, the club would have been called the Ghetto. <laughs> Great. And so it, was, like it had already been like a, a club, not, a, not, a, not the kind of music we were going to present. So I just opened it up willy-nilly on a whim with a dream and a guitar. Yeah. And it just, you know, I can't... I don't know what happened, how it got so popular. Well, you know, I, I've been opening, I've been the perennial opening act at a place called the Sand Mountain Coffee House, which is a premier 
folk music coffee house back back when beatniks you know were doing heroin and drinking coffee you know? <laughs> and so this was no alcohol that's where I met Towns mm-hmm. in fact at the, co- I, at the coffee house at the, at the Sand Mountain coffee house I, I was opening up for him and as soon as this lady left who was adamantly against alcohol Towns said do you drink I said sure he goes he opened the window and he had a gallon of wine on a rope Oh and that, God. and that first act of rebellion that we did chugging that wine was kind of bonded. Towns and I, we became yeah. really good friends. Then I opened the old quarter, right. and I stole Towns. And then Guy Clark was playing over there, and at one point, Mrs. Carrick, the owner, said, "If anybody else plays the old quarter, they can't play here anymore." So the gauntlet was thrown down. Right. Well, but once Towns broke ranks, and then anybody. Guy Clark. And sorry, she lost. Yeah. I stole all her acts, two of her waitresses. <laughs> the only difference is, at there you couldn't even drink, at the old quarter you could drink beer and smoke weed on the roof. I mean, mm-hmm. she didn't have a chance at during, you know, when you think about it at the time, because she was up against that whole hippie right. folk music boom that everybody was smoking weed and playing folk music and writing songs. What about, what years was this around? 65 okay. is when it started. Man. And... There was so much happened at that club. I mean, it just became a, it became just a hot spot. Yeah. I mean, what was Houston like in the mid '60s? Well, you there was no, you know, it was a ghetto downtown back then. Yeah, and it really was. There was a, well, there was a strip club, catty corner of the old quarter. People would come out of there and drunk and shoot guns in the air and shoot the building, and it was, it was pretty, it's pretty wild. And the right around the corner was a place that hired winos, and. You know, we were we were almost winos. We were just winos with long hair. So we, you know, we I never had any any malice toward them because they were right. just struggling along. I mean, I used to come on out of the way, out of the way, guys. Come on, we're opening up. You know? Right. And and people they would they would take them around and let them hand out flyers mm-hmm. at all the grocery stores and stuff. And so it was really there wasn't any anything downtown. I don't know. I don't know the history of Houston how it got that way. Sure. But. When I moved to Houston in '65, it was that way, and maybe that's why the old quarter was so available and so cheap. I don't remember how much it was, but I didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might have had thirteen, fourteen hundred bucks max wow. to open a club. But you know, we were hippies and we were young. We we lived upstairs, even though there wasn't any there wasn't any good facilities. We lived upstairs. That's great. I ended up I ended up playing with Lightning Hopkins. I used to hire Lightning Hopkins at the old quarter, and I'd buy her a bartender and a drummer, and I'd play bass for him. And that's how I really, so, so you know, cemented in my gig playing bass with Lightning is doing that at the old quarter. So you hired Lightning Hopkins to play there. I used to hire Lightning to play would, there. But then you would find a band for him. I, and you'd I was the band. Yeah, I mean, I'd find a drummer and I'd play bass. Mm-hmm. And see that that I got that gig because of Rocky Hill, who was. Dusty Hill's brother was ZZ Top. Oh, they were okay. all hanging out at the Oak Quarter before ZZ Top. Rusty and, and Dusty and Rocky were living with us. Dusty Hill passed away this past July. You know, what a sad thing! But what a what a great life. He you yeah. know he he started right there with nothing like everybody else and ended up to be a household name. God bless him. So over the course of that time, it built right. The a community developed around the yeah around the Oak Quarter. It's amazing. I have no idea how. You know, it's kind of funny because acid rock, you know, and folk music 
were both super popular at the same time. Mm -hmm. There was that famous Love Street Light Circus, mm -hmm. remember, during, and you know had you know thirteen four elevators and and you know before ZZ Top was ZZ Top, they were in a band called the American Blues. And this place called the Den. It was a '60s club, hard rock, with nothing but pillows and black lights, and mm -hmm. and they were called the American Blues, and they all had blue hair. And so one night, one of my waitresses said, "Hey, Rex, is the guy at the door with blue hair?" I would let him in, you know. And it was Rocky. And I don't remember. There's a long story goes, but they got thrown out of that club, and and they confiscated their instruments. It was I think Rocky had a, he was had a temper. He jumped off the stage and hurt somebody. Mm. So they were just at my club, and they were, you know, Frank was it was it was Frank, Russ, Dusty, and Rocky, and a organ player. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the organ player, but Dusty and Rocky moved in with us, and and Frank had his own apartment where we had poker games all the time. But that's how I met them, and then that Rocky somehow was playing bass with Lightning. I can't remember how he got that gig, but he, when he was picked up by ZZ Top, even though they, they picked up Dusty and Frank. They went, picked up Rocky also as a separate entity, gotcha. and he handpicked me to help to start playing bass with Lightning, and then helped give me at the old quarter, and then I became his bass player. Okay, just to recap real quick, because this is crazy. Rex opens the old quarter, steals Towns Van Zant, Guy Clark, and all the other great songwriters from their resident coffee shop slash venue. Above the old quarter was a small apartment where Rex lived with Dusty Hill, the longtime ZZ Top bass player his brother Rocky, and others, I assume. So those guys started playing the Old Quarter after they were banned from playing an acid rock club in Houston for essentially jumping off the stage and fighting with people in the audience. Rocky was playing bass with Houston and worldwide blues legend Lightning Hopkins, and Rex would fill in for him from time to time, which ultimately led to Rex being his full-time bass player. What a scene. The general public now, people my age, and, and, and for a lot of people across in the entire world, they got to know the Old Quarter because of the Live at the Old Quarter recording that Towns. That, that was a huge, and I think it's Towns' best record, too. Me, too. It's I mean, amazing. You know, I, I got to play with Towns when he was super young right. and finger picker. I mean, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't realize, remember how pristine his finger picking is, and I, I, I emulate him still to this day. And mm -hmm. my finger picking is real clean, but Towns was so clean, and he was so good back then. And he could silence two thousand seater, you know, just mm -hmm. with two words. Yeah, M amazing, amazing mm -hmm. talent. Were you there that night for that recording? No, I wasn't. I had gone. I I, had, I got a writer's contract. Towns helped me get a writer's contract uh, from the Surety Song Company, one of Elvis Presley's song companies. You know, Elvis never wrote anything when he was doing record. He just, apparently, he didn't like my material. But but I was in Nashville thinking I was going to be a star. I tell people I thought I was a star, but I was just drunk. <laughs> if you drink enough, you think you're a star. Old Quarter <clears throat> um, ended at some point. I don't know the exact history of... You owned a part of it, and then you were out of it, and then, then it ended, and um, it closed. It burned. It burned. But the building's still there. It's in a law office downtown. Still, I got pictures of it from two days ago because yeah, Joel was down there. Yeah. yeah, it burned down in 71, 71 right? Yeah. So and, it lasted from 65 to about so, 71. Well, no, but it, you know, it didn't burn to the ground. Right, it just burned on the It inside. burned, and... Uh, it burned it pretty bad, and I took off to Nashville, and Dale 
kept it open and kept it open until 75. Oh, okay. I think in 73 is when I was supposed to come back for that recording for the for Towns, but I just didn't. Right. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it burned is what happened in the mm. old quarter. It was a pretty serious fire. What was a typical night like at the old quarter and, and at its peak? I was on LSD. Are you talking? You uh, remember all that? <laughs> hey, describe the color. It was so it was so beautiful. It was packed almost after we became real kind of became a place. Well, you know, people don't know that I owned it twice. I opened right. The old, That's what I was. I, was I opened the old quarter first with my uh, Cecil Slayton was his mm. name, and he was my singing partner in the Navy. He was a, he was raging gay. And I, I don't. I, he must have been so deep because I, I never cared or thought about it. But you can imagine how deep he had to hide his gayness during that time. During when he was in the Navy. But anyway, we had a singing duet, and and uh, I remember when we were going to do this show, and the guitar player backed out at the last second, pissed me off so bad. I went down and went to Sears and Roebuck, the music store of the '60s, mm-hmm. and bought me a bunch of guitars and amps and I said I'm gonna play my own damn music from now on you know and that's kind of why I picked up guitar late in life really you got your, uh, and so so and I opened the old quarter you got an amp with tremolo I got an amp that's right I got an amp with tremolo on it <laughs> I love tremolo I do too but that, that was the big thing back then you could buy yeah. an amp with tremolo built in oh I see so that was a big deal was, at yeah this. in the 60, yeah. the 60 we're talking 63 you yeah know? so so that so Cecil and I opened the old quarter, and uh, he you know he called me when he says, "I'm gay." I said, "Yeah, I know you're gay. I can tell you like men and I like girls. It's pretty dang obvious." Right? And he said, "Do you want me to still come in?" I said, "Come in. You kidding me?" He thought it was a huge deal. Yeah. And yeah. I, I went, "Duh." I mean, I knew he never was with a girl. Sure. I could pretty much. That means more girls for me. That's the way <laughs> I look at it. <laughs> so listen to this, and this is a part of the old quarter that a lot of people don't know because I hadn't put my book out so we became the we the police decided that the hippie joint had to go mm-hmm. and back in the old those days the old quarter had stucco walls mm-hmm. with green slick old coating and people would take chalk and right you could write on the walls so we had all the famous protests you know sayings beware your local police are armed and dangerous vandalize the church of your choice uh, Donald Duck was a Jew, which they hated for some mm-hmm. reason. So at one point, we they would come down, and I went to jail like 20 times because of writings on the wall. Because this one cop who hated us, and ha- well, they all hated us. Mm-hmm. He would come in there, and he would erase the Jew. And as soon as he'd leave, I'd go put the Jew back up there, and he'd <laughs> come back 30 minutes later and arrest me. <laughs> And so, I mean, we, you know, we made the, the, the local news. We were headlines in the newspapers. I got my first, I got my first example of, of biased journalism because uh-huh. this guy came to jail to interview me because we'd been on the newspapers and he interviewed me about that. And he says, let me take a picture. He said, okay, don't smile. And it came out, unhappy happener. He asked me not to smile, and that was my first inclination. Is you know you can't trust the press, and he wrote the article was just so full of bullshit. He just t- he quoted me, me out of t- out of context, mm-hmm. made me look like an idiot, really. So that was an eye opener. That's a good story. Hey, but you lived in Houston. You lived above the old quarter during right. this time. Okay. You know, I, I I escaped Houston to get away from heroin. Also, I mean, Towns and I both had a serious right. heroin problem, mm-hmm. and. I remember I almost got 
shot back, you know, got killed by this guy who was just looking for another guy. It's a, it's a terrible underworld of of heroin use that Towns and I got so lucky getting out of there with our lives. Right. And so I, I went to Nashville to completely pull up after I almost got accidentally killed by a guy looking for a whole another guy. It was a weird scene. It's yeah. in my book, though. It's called Towns, the Professor, and the Heroin Dealer. <laughs> But Towns was at my house with his, he was dating this professor from Rush University. <laughs> and so this guy was over, we were buying ounces of heroin from him. And there was a guy stalking him, trying, was willing to kill him to get to the, get his heroin stash. We didn't know nothing about this, right? And so I go to the back door, and it's this guy, and all of a sudden he's pulling out a gun, and I slam the door, and I turn, and he's shot, and the bullet went right. I could have, if I'd have been, I don't know how it didn't get me, he should have got me. Right. And then he got holed up in the kitchen, and we could see him because there's the light still on it. And this heroin dealer, he had a gun. I said, don't shoot him. I don't want a dead guy. In the it was so weird. And then Townsend was with his professor, and he was, and she was freaking out. Everybody was freaking out. So they were in a closet, Townsend and his professor he was dating while all this craziness was going on. Finally, the guy left. We tossed him some heroin, and he left. And I moved to Nashville the next day. You tossed the guy heroin that was shooting at you? Yes. Well, he got holed up in the kitchen because he wasn't giving up. This guy was on heroin and hurting, oh, I mean, obviously. Oh, I got you. Okay. And he didn't know that the light was on behind him, so we could see a silhouette. I had a wow. rifle, and this guy had a gun, and, you know, we could have just killed him any second. But I went, I don't want to kill anybody. I don't care if he did shoot at me. He doesn't know me. He was just so strung out. He right. was willing to kill. And to just, get. That's the kind of stuff you got to get yourself yeah. away from. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we finally... He said, I, need to, I said, the guy who you shot, when you shot, he left. You know, the guy said, where's the guy in the stingray? He, he followed this guy that drove a stingray. And I said, he left. And he didn't, but I told him he left. And he said, okay, I need some heroin, you know. And so we put some in a tinfoil enough to keep him uh, quite a bit, really. Tossed it to him, and he left. Man, that's intense. I... <laughs> It I don't know how to respond to that. That sounds like, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's, and I'm not proud of that. No, well, it's sure, just, but it's part of the history. And, what happens when you dabble, deal with illegal crap? You can get killed. Right, right. People, people talk about they're worried about what's in the vaccinations. <laughs> yeah, we used to check that every time we bought heroin down. <laughs> do, you, do you have a, a do you have a disclosure a disclaimer on this? Do you have a flyer or something? <laughs> Okay, no, no, yeah. no cleaning products were used in the make of this heroin. So thank you. <laughs> you know, Towns and I became good friends long before I played with him. Right. And, and uh, I was playing bass, you know, and really the first time I actually, Towns really had invited me to go out and get out of town with him. It wasn't for music as much as it was getting away from the heroin. Mm. So I went, to, I went on a couple of tours with Towns, just Towns and I. I mean, he didn't, no guitar player, just him and a bass player. Right. But he just, it, we were good friends, and he really took me on the road because we were friends and to get me out of Houston. And and he did. And because, you know, on the road, you can't find a heroin dealer in every town, but you can always find a liquor store. Yeah. And so really when people talk about heroin in towns, it's like melded together. But really, it was vodka is what killed towns, not heroin. I mean, we did, we did get into it for a couple of years, but it wasn't his lifelong thing. Sure, sure. Um, what was he like just as a, outside of the addiction issues and the... He was really fun to be around. I mean, he wasn't this morose person that people think. He, in fact, I mean, all of his anger and hurt, he took inside right. and, and 
put it out on paper because he was really fun to be around and you you can tell a lot, I mean I'm he's human he he got angry at times but very few stories about him being angry like you know you hear about Elvis shooting his TV and that of course Hank Williams Jr., Hank Williams was a handful from books I've read Towns wasn't like that he really wasn't he was always the most fun person to get drunk with on the face of the earth and he was just had the blues and he he one time he told me he says man I can't get rid of them. I can't kick the blues. He said, I can't do it. And he meant it, you know. Mm -hmm. And some of those beautiful times were when he would get a certain amount of drunk, he loved to read his poetry to people. And so I happened to be in several of those sessions. I know Janet has been too. Mm -hmm. And he'd get a certain amount of drunk and just start reading. And he would go through his suitcase, I mean, his folders and read his poetry. It was beautiful. He's a beautiful man. Yeah, yeah. So we're essentially going to skip 20 years here, where we find Rex in a completely different world. It's the mid-90s, he's got a straight job selling boxes, uh, but he finds himself at a bit of a crossroads. So when did you end up in Galveston? Well, I, you know, I've always had an eye on Galveston. Right. I, I, if you ask me any time in my life, I would always say, I'm going to end up in Galveston. Because mm-hmm. I just, and then, the, the, then I got this job selling boxes. I was a outside sales on, was doing boxes. I mean, I wore a suit and tie, but it was really good money for a straight job, mm-hmm. and I made excellent money. But I was always kind of, and I, I, I saved up money. I bought my first beach house in Bolivar because I always loved Bolivar. Yeah, I love Bolivar too. I, yeah, I had a beach house. That was my first beach house, and I'll tell you, one day I was really top salesman for this. And it was a, the people loved me. It was an easy gig. I used to play poker every Friday all day long. I'd hide my car. It was really close to the office. But I had to, I was selling so many boxes, they didn't care. I, one time, Richard Dobson played at a little place called the Acoustic Cafe. Mm-hmm. So this lady, uh, Marianne Phelps was her name. She was a, we, we knew each other from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. She was a really good singer-songwriter, played the Houston circuit. Well, she had opened up this club called the Acoustic Cafe, and she had had it for one year, and it just, she, I mean, it's a great name. Did you see that she's the one that painted that bass, that bass fiddle? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so Richard had played there. So one of my times, I, was, I spent every weekend at my beach house in Bolivar. Well, I just, I said, well, I'm going to stop by the old quarter, I mean, the Acoustic Cafe, and see if I can get a gig. I stopped by, all the furniture was outside, and I just walk in and, you know, they're just sitting. The Acoustic Cafe was in Bolivar? No, 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 no. But I was leaving Bolivar. But you come down here. Yeah, I always had to come ah, from okay. the ferry, and I have to go through Galveston to get back to Houston. So. I see, okay. And I knew where this club was. I'd seen Richard there once. Gotcha. Anyway, so I went by, and it was it was available. I mean, all the furniture was outside, and I said, what happened? They said, well, she didn't pay rent for four months. She had her mother to deal with and a, uh-huh. and a daughter that was having troubles anyway long whatever the reason so i i said is it for rent and they said yeah i said i'll take it so all of a sudden i had this conundrum i had this really good paying straight job yeah and a really bad bass playing job i could trade for owning a club <laughs> so really my 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 boss he knew he knew me pretty well when i gave him my 30 day notice he he probably figured out he said if if it doesn't work you can have your job back i mean how sweet is that? That's amazing. So I didn't I'll, come around that much. And so, uh, you know, I remember Richard was in town. And he helped me do all the bunch of the grunt work and the painting. And we got called Towns, and Towns agreed to be 
um, um, you know, we booked him for that. Actually, I called him my grand opening, but it was actually the second weekend. The real grand opening was Richard Dobson. He was the first person to ever play there. Yeah. And a band called Rosebud. I have no idea. They had a beautiful logo, but I have no idea. I tried to get a hold of them or do some search on them. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard Dobson is one of those guys that um, I end up turning people on to that love music about the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Because he's just not... He didn't get the... Um, recognition that i feel like he deserved well, he's he's a cult figure within our world exactly but, and I've, but, I've said that way years right. ago i'd say that he never got his recognition right. see he wasn't a great performer he almost had to manufacture his skill to play guitar and sing you know some, it's a gift sometimes mm-hmm. and he he but he was he wrote these great songs i remember mickey used to show him on the guitar and say he would write songs that he couldn't even play yet right and he would go but he knew where it was going and Mickey would say, no, this is where you hit that minor. And we were doing his songs, Richard Dobson's songs, before we f- finished them, really. Yeah, and that's so, cool. What was cool about that is back in the, those days, people, folk singers were doing Bob Dylan, you know, Leonard Cohen. We were doing Towns Van Zandt and Richard Dobson. Mm-hmm. So it's like having all this new material that nobody knew about. So, yeah. so you end up, this is the mid-90s, right? Right. You said 96. And... How does how do things start off? Uh, well, I, I had you know I had an alcohol issue. I was I was a bad alcoholic mm-hmm. for a lot of years, and then I got sober in 1989, and that's when I was in the middle. Of, in fact, I got fired from my box selling job because I was an alcoholic. But I was good friends with the owner, and after I got sober and got my act together, I just called him up. I said, "Listen, I'm sober now. And I'm gonna," and he hired mm-hmm. me right back. Mm-hmm. So. Financially, I was going well and saving up money for a beach house, and then I bought the beach house, and then, then I found the old quarter by accident. Mm. So, and it was called the Acoustic Cafe, and, and then when you bought it, you renamed it the Old Quarter. Acoustic I tried Cafe. to name it the Old Quarter, right? And the Acoustic Cafe name was so indel- indelibly marked right. that two years after I had the Old Quarter, maybe three years after I had the Old Quarter, I'd cut you call, say, send a cab to the Old Quarter, and they go, Where? The acoustic Cafe. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. So that's when I said it's called the Old Quarter Acoustic Cafe. And they weren't going to let me name it the Old Quarter. Just mm-hmm. people wouldn't do it. And so I like the Acoustic Cafe name. I just wanted to name it the Old Quarter because mm-hmm. that's such a big part of my life. That's cool. Finally, it's called the Old Quarter Acoustic. It's still to this day. <laughs> people call it the Old Acoustic. Yeah. You know, some people call it the Old Quarter. Some people call it the Acoustic Cafe. And so... Can you talk about that second phase of the old quarter and what that was like from the mid '90s on? Uh, you know, Towns passed away later on in the '90s, right? He he passed, he passed away this just a year after I opened yeah. up. You know, even though I know he was really weak, I mean, he stayed at my house. Even he stayed at my beach house because his manager at the time, who was helping him on the, on the road with him. Because he, he was really getting weak and drinking way, way, way too much. So they would stay at my beach house even when he had Houston gigs because every time they showed up at a motel there, this gang of people, Rocky Hill being one of them, and all these people, you know, they would, yeah, just like Elvis, they would bring, if it didn't, yeah. they knew anything Towns wanted, they would bring in, and often it was drugs. Sure. And so he kind of, this was an escape yeah. for them to get to my house because, people you know, Towns played... Uh, not the grand opening. He played May, May the third or fourth, in '96, and mm-hmm. then he played October of '96, mm-hmm. and then he was booked for 
February of 97, but he's late for that gig. <laughs> he's still late for that gig. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a crushing blow. Yeah. But, you know, it crushed me and it crushed Janet. She was really close friends with yeah. Towns. Towns Van Zandt died on New Year's Day, 1997. Every year on January 1st, they hold a wake in his honor at the old quarter where musicians and patrons from all over come to celebrate his life and songs. For the last 25 years, the second iteration of the Old Quarter has built its own legacy here in Galveston, while continuing its original traditions. Eventually, Rex would sell the business to willing buyers that wanted to keep those traditions alive by the name of Joel and Angela Mora. In the next episode, I sat down with them. I hope to sit down with Rex again soon. I didn't even get to ask him about Blaze Foley. But before I left, he had to get one more joke in, and he wanted to play me a tune he had just written. Well, dude, play me that song. You said you wanted to play me a new song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jihad. Did you say jihad? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when you're feeling good, jihad. (laughs) These are Towns' finger picks. You know that, right? Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, these are Towns' picks. Oh, my God. I got them color-coded, so I won't ever get rid of them. These are my two main ones. They're painted red. Man. When we were going to Berry Towns, uh, JT just walked up to me while we were walking down. He says, I had no idea. He just had his hand out. I opened my hand and he dropped all of his picks in my hand. Hmm. I was shocked. Wow. and doesn't care when all of your beginnings have begun your expiration date is soon to come I have a friend named Towns I call him T his life was short and fast and loud and free He burned himself so brightly till the end Mesmerizing us with ink and pen 
The kind of man who did not hesitate To expedite his expiration date The school of life is full of tries and trues Pick your friends, don't dare let them choose you We get to live in loopholes now and then But the piper must be paid to remain your friend Ah, the school of life will text you when you're late When you expire, you also graduate So I can't stay for long Maybe enough for this song Fate tells me I will be traveling on All my earthly race has lost someone The clock is marching slowly across my face We all have an expiration date one day we will all be late. Man, that's beautiful, Rex. Oh, thanks. My goodness. It's kind of true to it. Yeah, it's super true. That's really good. Yeah, you can hold these and get get some good vibes. Yeah, do you mind? Uh -uh, I let people hold them all the time. Can I play on them for a minute? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for listening to Back Down Home, Beyond the Liner Notes, my first episode. I really appreciate it. Please take a moment to like and subscribe to the podcast. Show it to a friend. Rate it five stars, even if you don't think I deserve it. You can find me on Instagram at Tony Camel Music, and that's Camel with a K. You can get extra material around this episode on my Patreon, like the story of me finally convincing Rex to let Wooden Wire play at the old quarter. Listen to the record on all digital outlets and get a full list of tour dates at TonyCamelMusic.com.